we just want to make sure we use the, the best use of time here for Greg. He has an hour with us. So, uh, Greg, welcome. We have the founder and the CEO of Coravin. I guess let's get this party started because I want to see how many questions we can get through. First, can you tell people uh, that maybe don't know the, this history, the story, how Coravin came to be? If, if you're on, if you're using Clubhouse for the first time, you just got to hit the mic button in the lower right corner. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, I was in my classic uh, pandemic self uh, monologuing on mute. Uh, great, great to be here, and thanks for having me. Uh, really appreciate the invite. Um, I, I invented Corbin for myself. Uh, I I work in medicine. I'm actually here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm uh, supporting surgery with one of my implants tomorrow. And uh, I've been working in surgery since I was a young man um, all over the world. And I was introduced to wines all over the world as a result. Loved the stuff. Uh, my wife at the time and I never agreed on uh, which wines we wanted to open at night. Somebody was always compromising. And there were many nights when we wouldn't open a wine uh, simply because, you know, we we just wanted a glass and didn't want to commit to finishing the bottle. And one or the other was going to be traveling. So. There was something frustrating about the way that I had to consume wine by the volume it was sold to me. It was sold in a 750, but I drink it by the glass and I wanted to be able to, to drink it by the glass and, and not have to worry about when I was going to drink from that bottle again. So I, I uh, luckily I work in medicine and I'd worked on chemotherapy delivery systems as a young designer engineer. And I developed a system that had a needle that would access an implant under the skin to deliver chemotherapy over the course of somebody's treatment. And uh, so I got really good at making needles that didn't do damage to things. And uh, I remember sitting in my kitchen holding a bottle and this needle from this chemotherapy system thinking there's got to be a way I can get wine out of there with this. And you know that, that sort of led to 11 years of testing and development uh, to confirm to myself that I could drink a glass of wine from any bottle I owned whenever I wanted and not have to think about when I was going to go back to that bottle again. Um, it was uh, sort of a, an act of passion. And I, I kept testing and doing blind tastings of bottles that I'd corvin a glass out of or two glasses or three glasses out of months and then years ago versus a bottle from the same case that I'd never touched until I got the right combination of components where you know, after five years, I couldn't tell the difference. And that, that was sort of my benchmark for, I wouldn't have to think about when I wanted to go back and drink that bottle again. And it, it changed my life uh, with wine, for sure. I mean, I, I had this freedom to drink any wine I owned by the glass. And if my wife wanted something different, she could have whatever she liked. And friends came over, I piles of wines on a table and gave them a Corbin and said, you know, drink whatever you want. Um, there was, you know, there was nothing open, right? Because it was all still sealed um, because of the way that Corbin works. It's been a crazy ride. Paul, I think you, you were next with your question before we start opening up. Yeah, thank you, Greg. Thanks for the, you know, for, for, for the background. And you know, thank you for this amazing invention. It's something I've used um, in the trade. I used to have a wine bar and I've, you know, being able to offer customers far better wines um, as a result, because as you say, you know, you can open anything you want without the risk of, of having to maybe chuck it away or, or not get the, the the full experience from it. But I'm, I'm just curious about the 
the design process really because i'm i'm someone who you know having said all that um still kind of prides himself on pulling out the court making the biggest pop possible um you know plowing through the entire bottle in one sitting unsustainable though that might be um you know and so i'm just curious to to what extent you know if at all you kind of thought about um how not to impact too much on the the ceremony of of opening a bottle you know the the romance of, of pulling that cork on a on a fine wine i mean i appreciate that wasn't your main concern but did it was it a factor at all did you consider it it it, it definitely was when i so for it, it was um so first of all i pull the cork on every bottle um it's just that the bottle's not is rarely full <laughs> when I pull it um, because I've had a glass or two out of it over time. And, and that was, I always call that the, the back end benefit of Corbin is you always have the right amount of wine for the occasion. I've got two bottles in front of me. One's got a glass left and the other one's got two or three glasses left. And, you know, when a friend would come over, I'd pull six or seven corks with varying amounts of wine left and we would drink through the rest. And so there was still that ceremony of, of pulling the cork and drinking the last bits of wine. You don't have to use Corvin until the bottle's empty. Just because you use it on the first glasses doesn't mean you have to use it all the way through. And so I actually have a, I have a wonderful collection of cork pulls from the 1700s on out, because <laughs> I still love it. And I've got my favorite Laiole and I love the Code 30, 36 or 38, I think it's Code 38. Um, they're just beautiful tools that I admire the design of a lot. I, I thought more about maybe a different sort of slightly different view on what you're describing. And that that is that there's 400 years of culture associated with the current packaging of wine. A cork has been in glass preserving wine since the 1600s. And I knew that because of that tradition, when I founded the company, I had to be super careful as much as possible to make sure that I integrated with that tradition rather than clashed with it. I was at this one conference with JP Morgan and and it was like will i am and he was describing disruptive innovation and he put it perfectly he's like there's one type that clashes with the existing environment breaks down uh, an existing industry may or may not make new profit um but but potentially you know does damage and then there's another kind that integrates with existing culture and lifts all boats and he's like that's the one i want to go after and i thought i want to try to do the same thing with coravin and so I was really careful when we, and actually before we launched Corvin, to go out and meet with the wine producers first. And we were going to use our product on theirs. And they had to believe that it worked and that it wasn't, that it was beneficial and that they could integrate it into their own um, tasting rooms, um, that they had a positive view of it before we launched. And I did the same with top restaurants around the world. I went to somewhere in New York and San Francisco, LA, in London, Paris. Uh, you know, and then out to Japan and Australia and Spain and Italy. It, it was I was all over the world trying to make sure that people understood what Corbin was, what new and, and I think really importantly, additional ways it added to the way that wine could be consumed rather than, you know, I, I am not a zealot that says all wine must be consumed by the glass and there's never a reason to pull a cork. Um, you know, I drink full bottles with friends all the time still. Uh, it's just that there are these other opportunities to drink wine when pulling a cork doesn't make sense. You know, you want to just taste the wine, see if it's ready, uh, see if it's the one you want to drink that night, see if it's the right thing to go with the food you have, 
or you want to do pairings, right? There are all these other things that and times that we didn't consume wine because we had to consume it in a certain way due to its volume. It's, it matters a lot to me. I, I, I was hoping that Coravin would do nothing but raise all boats, uh, have no competitors and, and simply just expand the way that people can enjoy wine. Great. Thank you. So but Paul, is that satisfactory for you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Greg. Good to you know hear the evolution of, of that process. So cheers. Thank you. We are going to start bringing people up on the stage a couple at a time uh, before Fabian gets to his question. I want to get through as many questions as possible. If you find, if you feel like this is interesting for other wine lovers, make sure to ping some people into the room, go down to that plus sign. I am right now, I just Corvin the bottle, Greg, of Slovenia's top Pinot Noir producer. It's been, I first accessed it about six months ago. I uh, used Pinot Noir because I wanted to see, and it is showing beautifully. So, oh, awesome! <laughs> that's that. Thank you. I love Slovenian wine, and Pinot Noir is indeed the toughest one to preserve. So, that was the, that was the right one to go for. Yeah. So, Fabian has a question. We're going to start bringing people up uh, a couple, two at a time. Um, you know, keep your questions for questions, comments, kind of brief, because I want to get through as many people as possible. Fabian, go ahead before I start bringing people up. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Greg, for giving us one hour of your time. Much appreciated. So I'm sure there are going to be some people who are going to go this road. So I prefer to prepare the land a little bit. So you've run a lot of experiments and tests to prove that Coravin is very efficient. But still, some people are a bit skeptical about different stuff. So what is the biggest complaint that you've heard? And what is your answer to that Oh, wow. The biggest complaint. Um, so while I think about what the, <laughs> one thing as an inventor that's really important is that you stimulate passion. I think if you invent something and put it out into a field and you get like ho-hum responses, uh, that's like the worst outcome. So I have to say that, that Corvin has stimulated very strong positive and very strong negative responses. Um, and so I'll go into the biggest negative, which was one of my favorite experiences in Corvin. I was trying to hold a blind tasting in Germany, in Munich, with all the top restaurant sommelier and owners and some of the producers from Riesling, uh, Riesling production areas. And, um, and so there's a two Michelin star restaurant there called Tantris. And I really wanted to hold it there. My friend recommended that I hold it there. And my friend wrote an email in German to the sommelier and the sommelier wrote back in English, interestingly, a two page hate letter to Corbin. I mean, it was, he called me uh, a techno fetishist. He said that my wine cellar was a bunch of hormones stuck piglets. Uh, we were the GMO of wine. He called me the, the second shooter on the grassy knoll. I was interrupting the tradition of wine and a bottle is meant to be consumed and this could never work anyway. And, and, uh, and so as an inventor, when somebody takes the time to so creatively write out all the reasons why they hate you and hate your baby, um, I find the right response is to go see that person. So I got on an airplane within a week. I made a reservation, not under my name, for a table for one, uh, showed up and ordered a, the, the, the nine course pairing menu, figuring I'm probably gonna see the head sommelier. It's an amazing restaurant, the food's incredible. 
Uh, and he came over and he was serving me wine. And by glass three, he looks at me and he goes, are you Lambrecht? Um, and I said, yeah. And he goes, you didn't bring your infernal contraption into my temple, did you? And I was like, oh, no, no, I would never do that. And so by the sixth course, he was sitting across the table from me and arguing. And other people were bringing him and me wine. And I think the evening ended at about four in the morning in the cellars of Tantris with a couple of the other sommelier and his girlfriend sitting on the floor after we'd drunk through like seven bottles of wine and arguing about how Corvin interacted with tradition in wine, whether that was good or bad. And his girlfriend said something that I quote all the time. She said, it's a wrench. You use a wrench or you don't use a wrench. You don't hate a wrench. <laughs> and I, I thought it was really insightful. Corvin's just a tool. So I, I think the intersection with the culture is probably the biggest complaint. There are people who say it doesn't work uh, to preserve wine. Um, watch a video online, YouTube. It's the best way to preserve your wine with Corvin. It's uh, important to clean it. It's important to sell your wine normally and you'll get the best results. A lot of the people who say that it, it, it doesn't work, say that the wine has lost its pizzazz or its lift or its energy. And um, I always say, what exactly does that taste like? <laughs> um, and, and I've done blind tastings with those people with those wines that have lost pizzazz with a control bottle and they can't pick out the wine that they said had lost its energy. So there's a lot in the human head. I mean, it's amazing what wine is. I mean, it's a social, cultural beverage that makes us happy um, or sad, or it's part of the moment that we share and it locks in a memory. And all of those things come to play when you're tasting that wine. And you can have a good day and a bad day. You can be drinking the same wine and it tastes different to you. Um, and, and I recognize that more and more as, as I work in Corbin. Long answer, but... Uh, Thank you Culture very much. Does it work? Thank you very much, Greg. And just just to make a point, if it was not working, people would would in a way stop buying it. But people still do. So, did you manage to reference how many Coravin users you have in the world? In a way, or it's hard for you to pinpoint how many users you have in the world. We are we are in the millions of systems sold. Um, we sell in the millions of glass of capsules per year. Every capsule's 15 glasses of wine. So, um, you know, we're, we've served over 150 million glasses in 60 countries. Uh, I haven't looked at the numbers lately. Um, so I, I don't really know where we are. The pandemic was strangely a, a remarkably good, good year for, for Coravin. Uh, we, at the start, lost all of our trade customers, restaurants and wine bars, wineries, um, and we lost all of our retailers, our big box retailers outside of Amazon and ourselves. And yet our sales jumped. And I think that's because people were drinking at home and trying to recreate the restaurant experience that they had and longed for at home. And people become better cooks. <laughs> I know I haven't, <laughs> but I cook more. Um, and we want to taste different wines and we want to still enjoy our lives despite the various versions of lockdown we've all been through. And wine's part of that. Thank so you. So Corbin's done really well. Thanks. Everybody, I see all your hands raised. We're just we, I want to keep the stage tight so we can get through as many questions as possible. Keep your hands raised. I will bring you up. 
Paul, go ahead. You you, you get to us to the next uh, question. Uh, well, to be honest, um, I think having you know just heard Scott before, I'm I'm keen to go to that one because I think it's a nice logical step. So I'll I'll come back and pose pose mine later on. Um, Scott, go ahead. Hi, Greg. Uh, nice to meet you. Um, so I suppose mine's a bit of a two-part question. As, as someone who sort of imports um, from a niche region um, into the UK, I've sort of seen myself and heard anecdotally that bars and restaurants are much more willing to stock since the Corbin turned up a much wider range of wines. But I figured if anybody could sort of confirm that anecdote, it would be yourself. And I guess the second part, if that's sort of maybe a, an obvious result of the Corbin, have you seen any sort of um, surprising results or impacts of how restaurants operate now that they've gotten bars operate now, now that the Corbin's turned up, things that have sort of occurred that we wouldn't have expected to happen or you didn't expect to happen? Thanks. Yeah, well, um, yes, I think. So we did a test before we launched uh, with restaurants and consumers. We had 50 consumers in six or seven restaurants. And we asked them before we gave them the Corbin what they were drinking, how they were drinking, what they paid for the wines that they were drinking and how frequently they drink and what days of the week as a consumer and then on the trade side. Um, so on the consumer side, the this was surprising. The number of days per week they were drinking increased dramatically. They, before Corbin, they were drinking Friday, Saturday, maybe Sunday. And with Corbin, they were having a glass every day. Um, so they increased the frequency, not necessarily the volume, but maybe a little bit, uh, but certainly the frequency. And they increased the price they were willing to pay per bottle. And I think that same desire crept into the restaurant industry. So wines that were never available by the glass, expensive, rare, um, stranger varieties that, that you know, you, you're frightened to pull the cork on because, you know, how many people are going to buy, you know, Mavro? Uh, or, or a rare um, Romanian wine or, or Greek wine or, or, a, or um, uh, um, other, other strange or esoteric producers in different regions than you would have tried, like Slovenian Pinot Noir. Um, now they were willing to experiment with that on the list. Um, then London, uh, no place on the trade side took to Corbin like London. Um, I feel it's a terrible failure of, of mine and our teams in the United States. But, uh, you know, London, somebody came over to New York, saw it being used there, went back and picked it up with enthusiasm. There is no better place or used to be to drink wine in the trade and experience variety than London. And, and that comes to sort of the last point. Um, surprise, 67 Pall Mall. <laughs> Whoa, uh, you know, 800, 1,000 wines by the glass um, and 1961 Chateau Latour by the glass. Uh, they, from the beginning, adopted us completely and totally anything uh, by the glass. It's, it is, I mean, it's still one of my favorite places as a wine lover to go for, for wine because you can have anything. Um, it's an incredible place. It's like a library. It's like walking into the one of the great libraries of the past and being able to leaf through any book. Right? You can taste any wine. Their their iPad wine menu is. It takes me twenty minutes to decide what I want to drink. And then I, you know, thank goodness you have favorites, right? Because you, you'd forget all the ones you would be willing to try. 
Fabian, you want to take us to the next person? Yes. Yes, earlier we were having Liz before you came in, Greg, to warm up the room, and she wanted to talk to you. Liz, come on. Thank you, Scott, by the way. Go ahead, Liz. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Greg. I am just a huge <laughs> I'm a huge fan of the Corbin. Um, I've had mine for over six years. It's probably, I'm wondering if it's the first version. I think I have the Corbin 1000. Yes, that is the first version. It's a stainless steel tank. <laughs> yes, it's still running. It's still great. Uh, you know, I just, I love it because something I really love to do is make little tasting menus at home uh, for just my husband and I. And instead of opening up, say, three or four or five bottles of wine for the two of us, it just this allows me to be able to play with different bottles and not feel pressured to finish each bottle or that I'm missing out or any, on anything. And it's not really aging the wine or you know, changing the flavor, oxidizing. You know, so I love it. I love it. I love it. I do have a question. Um, so I'm not an inventor or a scientist, but I was wondering, besides taste, how do you how do you test the control bottles um, for any changes in flavor or anything, any changes in the nose? Like, is there a scientific way of testing those compounds? Like, so when people say, no, well, you know, this tastes different, um, it really doesn't because that could be subjective. So is there a way that you can show them scientifically data that says, no, the compounds are exactly the same? There's, there's, um, there is, and there isn't. Um, so I, I, the predominance of my testing over the 11 years of development was sight, smell, and taste. Um, wines will darken if they, obviously, if they, uh, if they start to oxidize, uh, Pinot Noir in particular, uh, you can get a very light, low sulfur Pinot Noir wine, and it'll change color if it's starting to oxidize to a dark, darker shade and be very easily identified. And even before it changes on the nose and on the palate. Um, so that, that's what I did. So I would do a blinded tasting where I'd have five glasses in front of me and at least one and as many as four of the glasses, these were small tastes in each glass, at least one and as many as four of the glasses would be from the bottle that had been Coravined, whatever it was, a month, six months, a year, two years, five years before. Uh, and then the remainder of the glasses was filled with the control bottle. My sons would scramble the glasses. I wouldn't know how many of the wines and, or which wines. Uh, were from the Corbin bottle, and I would have to choose. The random chance of guessing in that test is 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 under five percent. So that's the type of test that I ran around the world with over a thousand uh, wine professionals, including winemakers and their own wines, to convince folks that it worked. Um, and I, I have to say, every time I do it, I'm nervous because I did all the development with my own nose and palate, and I'm not necessarily the best taster. But when like I was in Burgundy testing with them. Uh, and I was more nervous than ever. Their wines, they'd accessed them. They'd held on to them for, for a year. We came back together and blind tasted them. I was sweating. Uh, you know, your own winemakers and their own wine, toughest to preserve wine category, Burgundy. Uh, I was nervous as hell. Um, but, you know, they couldn't tell, which was great. Chemically, yes, you can, uh, to some extent. So in the winemaking process, wine producers test their wines at various stages, and they, they use these equipments, that, these pieces of equipment to test for free and total sulfur, uh, sulfur dioxide, which is essentially a preservative uh, that interacts with oxygen. Uh, so if it starts to decrease, you can tell that oxygen has gotten into the bottle. But they also look at pH, uh, they look at volatile acidity, they look at all sorts of things. And you can do also light scattering to pick up very minor variations in the light color 
uh, or the, a shift in color of one model versus a control model. Um, and so we've done those tests and uh, other wine producers have done those tests. Uh, Napa Valley, I know, did a bunch, Napa Valley producers did a bunch of these tests and showed there was no difference. And then we had Chateau Latour uh, in Bordeaux who did the test in a beautiful way. Uh, they had six bottles, Corbin to taste out of the first, poured into this machine and measured everything. And then every month they came back to that bottle and poured a little bit more out for five months. And every month they added a new one of the bottles from this half case of wine and, and tested that. And then they, their question was, is the change in any of these parameters of that first bottle that's cordoned multiple times over five months, is any change in any of the parameters greater than the initial reading we got off of each of the six bottles? In other words, is bottle bottle variability more important or is the impact of Coravin more important? And what they found was bottle to bottle variability was greater than the impact of Coravin in these chemical tests. So we can never be better than that. Um, so I don't know, I, I've shown the chemical tests to people who believe that the wine has changed and it doesn't convince them. Um, so I'm a big believer in these blind tastings. And, and I, I there's a big placebo effect. We see it in medicine. Um, and the second word in placebo effect is effect. It's real. So if you believe the wine has changed, to you it has. And so if I can convince you with your own wine and your own control that you can't tell with a wine that you were pretty convinced you could tell, that's how you make someone believe that it does work and if you believe that it does work it opens up the freedom to do like what you're doing which is have five different wines in pairing which is exactly what i do at home right i would never have done that before but because i know that it works i'm comfortable doing that with any wine i've got and i want to bring as many people to that level of comfort doing that hard work of blind tasting i miss these big events that we used to run um because i i think it makes it gives people a new freedom because they know that it works and only if they know. Awesome. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Liz. Uh, I'm going to bring uh, uh, Paul. I'm just going to reset the room and Paul, you can organize who's, who's up next. Uh, guys, we're with Greg, founder, CEO of Corbin. Come on up. Keep your hands raised. I will bring you up the stage. We're going to try to get through as many questions as possible in the time that Greg has with us. Uh, Paul, who do we have next? Uh, well, I believe it, it's Brendan. I think Brendan's a sommelier, so it should, should, um, should be a, a, a good question for you. Cheers. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you. Hi, Greg and friends. Um, I have kind of a thank you, an apology, and then a question for you, Greg. But uh, I'm really interested in you. I love telling your story, and thank you for all of the advances and dedication you're showing in medicine and in wine. I find it so interesting that you are, you know, in, in medicine, but you've made such a, a gigantic improvement in the wine industry. Um, you commented earlier that the Corbin is kind of part of uh, the toolkit. And my apology is that uh, I'm developing some port tongs. So I just posted <laughs> on Instagram yesterday that I have removed uh, my Code 38, my Durand, my Coravin, and my Sabre from my uh, toolkit, and I'll only be using port tongs. 
But um, I have used, I've been a really early adopter of Corvin and been using it since, you know, the first models that have been used in restaurants and done lots of different experiences. And the part that I wanted to thank you for was allowing me to introduce people to wines that are often exclusive or, you know, very high priced, like DRC and Eagle and, you know, Sesakaya and just crazy wines that you don't necessarily want to commit to a whole bottle, but kind of want to, in my perspective as a Somme, I would love for people to taste these wines. To, and so the Corvin has given me that. And then also the versatility to use it in tasting menus and have, you know, 50 wines by the glass. It's absolutely spectacular. So thank you for that. You've greatly improved my bottom line as well as being able to share with, with guests. But my question is, um, I've been hearing for a long time that you've been working on a sparkling version of Corvin. Is there any way that you would be able to either preserve or do the same kind of, you know, end result with, with champagne? I, I understand that, you know, argon might be reactive to, you know, the pressure inside a bottle of champagne. But if it took you 11 years to develop the first Corvin, uh, I'm hoping that you're working on something involving sparkling wine well uh thanks for the question thank you for the really kind words um and uh if anybody hasn't seen the tonguing of a bottle it is a sight to see so uh um it's a good luck on that development it's i've i've loved it i haven't seen it often um and if you can make it easy that'd be awesome yeah um, i'm trying to make it easy and i'm actually doing it with champagne so the, the whole closure shoots off on the end it's pretty cool <laughs> I've never seen that. That's awesome. Um, I'll, put, I'll put it in my story and show you. I would love to see it. Uh, I really would. Uh, so I'm um, the, you know, champagne is, I didn't used to drink it. Um, and honestly, I, I drank it only at moments of celebration or uh, the end of the year. And I talked to a wine store owner. He's like, yeah, we sell 70, 80% of our champagne um, at the end of the year. Uh, and and it, it it made me think that the reason that is, is you commit to the bottle. I mean, if you, if you're opening a bottle of champagne, that's what you're drinking because it goes bad in two ways. It oxidizes and it goes flat. And I rarely wanted to just drink champagne um, on an evening. And so, you know, if I had friends over, I'd open it, but otherwise I, I wouldn't. And so I didn't have much of it around. Um, I have been working on Corbin sparkling since, 2013 so now eight years in um to to developing it and uh you know i'm i'm really excited to say that the answer to your question can can you do the same kind of thing with sparkling wines and the answer is yes um and as a result of this work i have maybe 12 different champagnes uh, in one of my wine fridges that I can have a glass of any night of the week um, and frequently do. I, there is no better way to start off an evening than a great glass of champagne. And uh, there's no better way to be welcomed into a restaurant than a great glass of champagne. So uh, having the freedom to drink champagne by the glass or in the quantity that I want uh, or that my spouse wants at any time um, without having to commit to the whole bottle is life-changing. I'm now, uh, I've got a, a wine fridge full of sparkling wines and it's, it's incredible the 
tremendous variety. It's it's the same variety that you get in still wines, um, from sparkling Shiraz from Australia to English sparkling to the great sparkling wines of Italy and Spain uh, to Champagne to California. Uh, you know, everybody seems to Austria, Germany, uh, make gorgeous sparkling wines that add another dimension, a celebratory dimension uh, of joy to to wine. Uh, I love the stuff. And so you will see a Corbin sparkling. I so it's much coming. appreciate that answer. And thank you very much. And thank you for adding that versatility. And you were kind of commenting on that. And, you know, I can serve, I can pair by the course. I can do, you know, Chateau Yquem by the glass. It's absolutely spectacular. Thank you for all of your hard work. And I, uh, I, I did, I did put a, a quick, uh, uh, port tongue of a champagne bottle. It was my first attempt in the, the first prototype, so forgive the crudeness of it, but check it out for me. You, you should have seen the first attempt at Corbin Sparkling. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to connect with you offline. Thank you for your time. I never thought I'd have this opportunity. Thank you, everybody, to, oh, to allow us to connect with you. Thank you, Brendan. Uh, I'm going to bring Benny up next. Again, every guy, keep your hands raised. We're halfway through here. We're halfway home with uh, Greg Lambrick, the founder owner of Coravin system I've been using for years. Uh, Benny's up. I, I, I want, there's a lot of people with their hands raised. So guys, when you come up to stage, uh, I ask that you kind of keep it brief, respect Greg's time, everybody else's time, kind of keep it to 60 seconds. Go ahead, Benny, you're next. Hi, Greg. Uh, pleasure to listen to you. And uh, thank you for creating this awesome tool. Um, I'm actually based out of Dubai. And uh, before Coravin was here in uh in this part of the world, I pretty much decided to buy a bunch of my friends a Christmas gift. And we pretty much at one point ran out of capsules. And everyone started calling me to be like, where do we get these capsules from, which we couldn't get. And luckily, I work in the gas business. So I started to refill their small little capsules for them. <laughs> but my question to you is actually, um, I have the Coravin 11. And um, when the battery runs out, uh, I can't use it until it's fully charged. That's my first kind of comment. And my next question is, what are you working on? What What are the next products that you guys will come out with other than the champagne part? So uh, definitely write me a note at greg at coravin.com because uh, your Model 11 should work even if it's not fully charged. Um, just unplug it and you should be able to use it. And if that's not the case, uh, we've done something wrong and, and I want to make sure that we, we try to fix it. Um, we are working, I have never had, and maybe this is the result of isolation. I've never had a more inventing, inventive, productive phase of my career than during this pandemic. Um, and I would say that that's true of, uh, all the engineers at, at Corbin as well. Um, and so I think you're going to, well, number one, sparkling wine, uh, here it comes. Um, so I, I founded the Coravin, I founded the company with the phrase faster, easier, more fun, independent of closure, still or sparkling. Um, I wanted to be able to achieve those things. Anytime we made something new, it had to be faster, easier, more fun, uh, be independent of the closure that, that is used on the wine and deal with still or sparkling wines. Um, and and I think you're, you've seen that with the launch that we just had of Pivot um into uh into the pandemic uh pivot is our new uh you know our new product it, it actually works from an open bottle so it can work with uh vinyl or plastic uh 
cork, which we couldn't work with with, uh, um, with Coravin. Uh, we had previously launched Coravin screw cap uh, that taught us that we could open and then quickly close the bottle without air getting in um, and preserve it for now a year or more. So we knew that we could open it quickly and pivot works with um, removal of the closure and insertion of a, of a valve stopper, uh, Coravin stopper. Um, that you then pass a very simple tube through uh, using the uh, pivot system, tip it, pour like you do with Coravin, take it out. But it, the big difference is it uses less gas per capsule uh, or per glass. Uh, so you get more glasses out of each capsule because it doesn't use a needle. It uses a big honking cannula or tube. Um, and the other one is it's, it's much less expensive for us to produce. Um, we were able to take a lot of the cost out of the system because I want to make it broadly available to the average wine consumer um, and so it's our first uh, Corvin under $100. Um, and then uh, it pours a glass in eight, in eight seconds. So it's quick. Um, and I think you can get one down to five seconds. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a jump for us. Currently, we're saying that the stoppers last for uh, up to a month. I think we're going to get it up to three months. We might be able to get it up to a year. And I won't, keep stop, I won't stop working until it can go indefinitely, just like Corvin through a cork. Um, so that was one big jump. Uh, the other um, was is Corbin sparkling, and, and it's the hardest thing I've ever done, uh, medical or or consumer products. Uh, it is difficult to match the bubbly nature, the perlage of each bottling. It's difficult to uh, prevent oxidation, and, and it's challenging when you think about the ceremony of pulling a cork. There is no greater ceremony than pulling the cork in a sparkling wine. So we we tried to find a way that intersected with all that, and I'm really excited with the outcome um, that we've that we've come to. Uh, I'm working on three or four additional things. Um, and they're with Corbin, they're all about expanding the ways that you can enjoy any of the beverages you like to drink. Um, and, and and my I, I, I stick to wine, but ultimately, we can pour anything without oxygen getting in contact with it. Um, which means that whatever it is you're pouring will last a long time. And soon we'll be able to pour almost anything with uh, CO2 in it. Uh, and it'll last for a long time. So I'm, I'm encouraged and excited about the opportunities that that brings. I'm, I'm always going to try to make it less expensive, faster, and easier. Um, each with with each innovation, and probably and and there's one other thing I'm thinking about. Right now we have one product, and it's sold to the consumer in the same way that it's sold to the trade. There are slightly different needs in the trade than there are in the consumer. So I think you might start seeing some meaningful differentiation. Um, between products that are used at restaurants and wineries and products that are used at home. Thank you, Greg. Thanks a lot. Fabian, before you bring up your next, the next person, Greg and everybody else, if you pull to refresh, that means you grab your screen and then pull down. You'll see the wheel spinning. It will reload. I've, uh, I've put the picture of what I'm accessing. I just poured myself a second glass, <laughs> actually. Go ahead, Fabian. Who's next? Thank you, thank you. So now we're gonna welcome Sari on stage. She's an entrepreneur. She works around blockchain, crypto, but does a lot of stuff and she's a big wine lover. Welcome, Sari. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much. Hi, Greg. I'm, uh, I've been a fan of Corvan since early, early adopter going back to the 1000 model. And I've worked with pretty much all the models and all the needles. And thank you very much. Uh, it's been particularly helpful during COVID when you want to drink better, but have limited number of people around. So I think it's fantastic. Um, I do have a question, especially as you're embarking into the champagne. You mentioned earlier that Burgundy can be one of the more difficult, difficult ones to use a Coravan on, if I understand correctly. 
Um, how would you suggest handling the more delicate ones, like a 45 Vogue, a 59 Montrose, which is, of course, a Bordeaux, or, a, you know, like an older Moussard, like from the 70s or something like that? Um, I've used the, you know, the vintage needle, of course, but what, what are some of your suggestions to try and ensure the most intact process of, of being able to do this. And then, of course, the second part of the question is, as you venture into champagnes, as you start getting into the older champagnes, um, you know, from the 40s, 50s um, or so, um, how, how, do you, how do you plan to, to tackle that? These are great questions. So I'll go from the, the general to the very specific. Um, and it generally speaking takes more energy to do the very specific things. To, but, maximally preserve your wine. I've Corbin wines from the 1800s um, and you can get great results, uh, but it does take the most care. So the first thing I always say is uh, the four C's of Corbin. I used to say three, but it's clean, clear, cellar and cork. So clean, you have to wash it. So um, especially something like Chateau Mouchard or, or Bordeaux, older Bordeaux, there's a ton of Britannomyces in those wines and you don't want that Brett growing out on the inside of your Corbin. So hot water, through the spout, under the sink, at the end of any night you're using your Corbin, and certainly before going into a bottle that's vintage, like from the 40s or 50s, uh, or even earlier. So hot water through the spout, very simple thing. If you've owned the Corbin for a long time and have never washed it, pour vodka down the spout. Get inexpensive vodka, pour it down the spout. It'll clean out the valve and the needle from the inside, which is what's important. And then you can use water from then on out. Uh, so that's that's probably the most important thing. Uh, clear, just before I go into a new bottle, I give the trigger that pushes argon through the system, I give the trigger a quick press just before I put it onto the bottle and go through the cork. And what that does is it clears the needle and valve of, of anything that might be left over from the last wine or the water from cleaning it. It pushes, or air that might be sitting inside of it, it pushes all of that out using argon and makes sure that the first thing that's going to go into your bottle is the argon from the system. So winemakers sparge a wine bottle with argon or CO2 or nitrogen before they fill it to get air out of it. You want to do the same thing with the Corbin system. So a very quick press of the trigger will clear the valve and the needle of anything that's on the inside of it and, and make sure that only argon goes into your next bottle. Cellar is the third C keep the wine cold and on its side. Um, you know, it's got, it should be well stored just like a normal bottle. This is particularly true of older wines. Um, so it's really important to make sure that you're maintaining um, the good storage conditions, dark, cold, no vibration, um, best way to keep wine for the long term. And then cork. Um, if the cork has failed, Corbin is not going to save the bottle. And a lot of the older wines, if they haven't been stored well, the cork has lost its elasticity. You can check for this. And this is actually why we made the vintage needle. Thanks for, for using that. Um, it applies less force and it, it expands the cork less in order to pour the wine. It takes longer, but wine took 50 years to get to you. So you can wait 20 seconds more for the, the glass to pour. But how do you check the quality of the cork before using the Coravin? Wrap your hand around the neck of the bottle, put your thumb on top of the cork and press down uh, firmly. If the cork slides, the it's no longer holding. And my recommendation is to pull the cork and drain it. Um, if the cork is sliding, it's in such bad condition that it's unlikely to continue preserving your wine. Um, there 
are alternatives. And so one of the things that I do with old precious wines that I, that I want to absolutely, you know, I want to try to protect against the cork being bad is I'll cut the foil, uh, take that off. Um, some of the foils before 1961, I think, or 60 were actually made out of lead as well. So you might as well cut it. So cut the foil, expose the top of the cork. What I do is I take a candle and I melt wax over the top of the cork um, until it's completely covered. And then I corvin through that wax, I pour, take the corvin out and I'll heat the wax and melt it again so that the whole seals over. Um, it in badly stored wines with pretty, with corks on the, on the last legs, um, it is helped. Uh, so that's the, the hardest thing to do. You don't need, certainly don't need to do that on the average bottle, but if you have a really old wine and you're skeptical of the cork, that's a good thing to do. Um, in terms of champagne, you know, I don't believe the first champagne are going to work for wines that have lost their perlage completely. Um, and I've had some wines, been lucky enough to have them from the, from the 60s and 50s. My birth year is 69. I have a bunch of 69s. And I would say one in three still has some perlage. Uh, two in three don't necessarily. Maybe I've just had bad bottles. But um, if the wine has no existing perlage, I don't believe Corbin Sparkling will work well with it. This is just a belief from testing. Um, but if it still has good perlage, it almost doesn't matter what year it's from. So I think that that's going to be your guide um, for, for Corbin Sparkling, at least at the beginning. I have some ideas about how to preserve older sparkling wines that have lost their perlage, um, but I'm still testing them. So that'll probably be in, in wave two. Okay, Th thank you so much. I, I can't help but ask, which wines from the 1800s did you have success with, with Corvin? Oh my goodness, uh, great story written up in a British news, an English newspaper, and I can't remember which one, but look it up. It's the Castle Bechoff in okay. the Czech Republic. Um, they found wine buried by a Nazi sympathizing Belgian um, when the Russians were coming, he buried wine under a chapel in his castle, castles from the 1500s. And they found this wine and they were looking for a way to validate that it was real. So they gave us 12 bottles, most of which had lost their label. Um, but the ones that had their label were Chateau Akem, which was, uh, you know, I, I could say that 1896 was better than 1899 because <laughs> um, I got to taste them at that, 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 that evening. Um, we were all in front of a live audience and a camera and there were top somebody and a master of wine was there and we were, you know, carefully pouring from these. I built a special Corvin uh, that runs at really low pressure because these are hand-blown glass buried underground. Um, but one of the wines was the best wine I've ever had. And it was an 1899 Corton from a Burgundy producer who no longer exists. Um, and it was the most alive, exciting. As soon as we Corvin it into the glass, People could smell it three rows deep in in this uh, small theater we were in. Uh, it was stunning, um, really incredible wine experience. I'll look for the article. Thank you for sharing again. Thank you for a fabulous product. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, Sarah. Great question. Great answer. Thank you, Greg. Um, if you'll just permit me to quickly reset the room. Uh, we are here talking with um, Greg Lambrecht of Coravin, the founder of Coravin. Um, if you somehow find yourself here having never heard of Coravin, I would uh, 
I would hope you would stick around and listen to this. This is a great conversation. It, um, using a Coravin, I think, will truly enrich your wine drinking life and experiences. So, um, you know, please uh, please follow Greg, follow the speakers. You'll have access to um, plenty more great conversations, I'm sure. Um, and on that note, let's go to Lubo. He's a, a sommelier, master of wine student. I'm sure he will line us up with another great question. Cheers. Go ahead, Lubo. Hi, everybody. Hi, Greg. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm really happy to be a user of Quran for almost seven years. So I have the, one of the first models. And uh, yeah, it's really helped me to lower the costs for the studies. So it's great, great. But uh, my question is, uh, I have, uh, I have you know, many experiences, but I find two different. Yeah, a lot of wines with uh, natural cork uh, works well. I think just one of maybe 100 was a problem. But if there I have some Burgundies who are using the diam cork, have you find that with these diam corks there are there are some some problematic with using the Coravan? Because quite many with diam corks, I have the problem with oxidation after maybe after a few weeks or few months. Thank you. That's a great question. So um, diam is an agglomerated, uh, compressed, and sometimes polymer mixed in uh, cork, and they're doing it for TCA reduction in consistency and oxygen permeation. Um, I've met the folks at Diam and they had run tests with their corks and Corbin before I met them. Um, and they told me that it worked. Uh, I have used Corbin on many bottles that have Diam cork uh, from around the world. And I found a couple of things. One is it's much harder to push the needle through. Um, than a normal cork. And I think that's because it's slightly less elastic. And so they they compress it a bit more um, or it's just harder. It's just a harder cork, maybe with the polymers. Um, and I have heard, I have not found that um, they oxidize more than a standard cork, but I have been told pretty consistently by others that they have found that. And so I, I do cut the foil on, on every wine. I mean, ultimately I pull the cork on every wine and I I've had wines that have gone out five years with DM cork and they've been great. There are different grades of DM cork, which makes it even more complicated as you know. Um, and I don't believe that I've ever tested across the spectrum of uh, DM corks with wines that are very delicate uh, to know for certain. Um, I would say that the best, thing that you can do with with uh, dm cork is the same that you can do with any cork and that is that clean clear and cellar um and and it may be more important with dm corks to keep the bottles on their side uh and keep them cold than it is with normal cork uh, i find that that there are two big benefits to why keeping wine on its side you uh, are there you really want to keep the bottom of the cork wet uh with a corvin bottle with a with a sketchy cork uh, not saying that DM is sketchy necessarily, but you, you want to keep the bottom of the cork wet. And I think that's because what happens is if the cork isn't resealing well, uh, wine can sort of dry and clot in the hole um, and, and help you from the inside. Whereas if you leave it upright and the cork's not resealing well, um, you can get air in uh, rather than um, having that clotting occur. So it's it's a, a long-held suspicion of mine that that's the reason why I've done tests with wines laid horizontally and vertically, and I've done it with DM. Uh, I I you have to wait a long time for it to make a big difference. Uh, so if you're having oxidation over the course of weeks, 
Um, I would definitely try the clean, clear cellar and, and make sure that those DM corks are stored on their sides. I know in the trade, sometimes it's difficult to store wines horizontally. You can store them vertically, especially if they're being served by the glass and you need them readily accessible. Um, but as, as much as you can with any cork, store them on their sides. Thank you. Thank you. Before we get to Dan, I'm just going to kind of refresh the room we get. We got uh, about 10 minutes unless we can squeeze uh, a, a, few, a little bit more time out of Greg because we have a, a bunch of people with their hands raised. Um, keep your hands raised. Next, we have Dan, who's all about champagne. So I know he's going to ask you, Greg, about the new champagne Corvin. Dan, you want to oh, go no. ahead? Hey, guys. Thanks for bringing me up. Hey, Greg. Um, two very simple and short, straightforward questions. Is there already a confirmed release date for the Spartan Corvin or Cora Bubble or however he's going to call it? <laughs> um, answer is I'm not allowed to say, but it's this year. Okay, cool. Second question. I'm a champagne blogger and owner of one of the premier champagne festivals in Europe. Is it possible to get a test model beforehand and, you know, to get in contact with you somehow, please? Uh, yeah, write, write, me a, write me an email at greg at corvin.com. Wonderful. Will do. Thank you, guys. Good night. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Sparkling, sparkling is, uh, it's, you know, I'm not, it's so funny. I'm not allowed to talk about anything about my marketing department. Oh, by the way, just quick correction. I am not the CEO and, uh, and, and shouldn't be. I don't know consumer products as well as other people. So I'm the founder and chairman. And I work with an amazing CEO, Chris Ladd, who comes from a big consumer products background, notably at um, Lululemon and, uh, and New Balance. Uh, he's, he's an incredible guy and uh, has been running the company beautifully. Cool. Great stuff. Okay, thanks, Dan. Um, Krista, let's, let's go to you. Hi, thank you so much for bringing me up. Hi, Greg. Great to meet you in this forum. Um, First of all, I just want to say thank you for uh, like creating this thing. I mean, it's really incredible. In a past life, before I started writing about food and wine, I actually worked at a, a tasting room, and we used to use those like terrible dust-off containers <laughs> full of argon. And so it's really cool to see something that's um, you know really sleek and also very beautiful. And I've been using it a ton within quarantine just to continue my education. Um, and I'm, I'm living by myself, so otherwise I wouldn't be able to open a lot of these wines that I'm receiving. So it's been really helpful for me. So thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Uh, so my question is, um, with wine obviously being this like thousands of year old art form with all this tradition attached to it, I imagine there have been some issues, of course, bringing something that's so incredibly innovative uh, into that, as you've discussed in some of these uh, kind of hilarious stories about people sending you hate mail and whatnot. I'm curious uh, what some of those pain points in storytelling and communicating that product specifically to the consumer um, within the digital marketing space have been? And then what are some uh, innovations you've had in terms of how you tell those stories that you've used to combat that? Ooh, that is a really good question because it is, it was, it is the most challenging, still is the most challenging. So what are the, what are the difficulties in communicating Coravin? And then what have we done? Um, difficulties. Wine preservation is a category full of crap that doesn't work. Um, I'm just gonna be honest. It's why I invented Coravin. Um, I, I was, they're all trying to solve this problem of how do you preserve the life of an open bottle of wine? And, and, 
And then, you know, they tried vacuums and spray cans and all sorts of things that sort of work or even make it worse. So it's it's generally speaking ineffective and it's dirt cheap. So how do you bring in something that's really effective, convince somebody that you've got something that's really effective and then convince them that, you know, unfortunately, because we have a needle and a regulator and a gas that's under high pressure uh, that we had to control, um, you know, that, that it's worth spending, you know, we launched $299 now, $149 with Model 3 and 99 bucks with the Pivot. How do you convince them to not pay $10 for, for something that doesn't work and pay a lot more for something that does? That was, that was problem number one. Problem number two is tradition. The biggest competitor to Coravin is summarized by the most common thing that I hear from a wine consumer. Oh, I finished the bottle. I don't need that. I finished the bottle. I pull the cork, I finish the bottle. We don't need that. Um, the reason you finish the bottle is actually because you need to. And we have built the way we consume wine around the volume of sale. You know, 750 milliliters. So you open a bottle and drink it when it makes sense to open a bottle and drink wine. Friday, you know, when friends are over Saturday, uh, maybe Sunday, but you're not drinking a whole bottle, hopefully not every day, um, even though you might want a glass. And so trying to convince, trying to, to explain to people, it wasn't convinced that, that the benefit of Coravin was the capacity to drink what you want, when you want, in the quantity you want. Uh, that getting past that, well, I pull the cork, I finish the bottle, um, I think was was really challenging. Uh, more so than I thought. I thought everybody would, you know, I'd been doing it for 11 years. It changed the way that I drink wine. I had two, three different wines every night, um, half a glass of each. Uh, and my my wife at the time, she would have two, three different glasses. And it didn't matter. Um, you know, that kind of freedom is is difficult to put into words quickly. And then there was the one other big challenge. And that was that the magic trick was so overwhelming. Hey, I can pour wine from a bottle without opening it. That people focused on that rather than why. Um, and in fact, my entire company would say, hey, we pour wine, for, Corbin pours wine from a bottle without opening it. And, and, and I, the big first step was explaining to people, never say that again. Uh, you know, say, Corbin allows you to drink any wine from any bottle whenever you want, in any quantity you want, without having to think about when you're going to drink it again. Let me show you how. So start with the need space before you go to the technological solution space. And that's, that is good advice for anything. What is the need you're addressing? Communicate that first and then go to the how. Because uh, it's the need that matters. The how is the current embodiment of the solution, which will change. Yeah, that's really so thoughtful. And I feel like the need space has expanded so much, especially within this time. It's like, I, I truly you know, never thought of this conundrum of like, oh, I really want to enjoy some of these wines rather than sitting around. Why not now? You know. Um, but I, you know, I, that's why I invested in my first score of it is because I was like, you know, I just, I, I want to try this. I want to enjoy this. Like it's, you know, my, one of the little pleasures in this lockdown. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think I imagine yes. you have, have opened up quite a bit in terms of what you might've initially created the product for. So well, thank you. Luckily. Thank you. Thank you, Krista. Greg, I know you, 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 we set you hard for an hour. We do have four more questions. I want to know if you're okay with getting yeah. through these questions. Happy to. Thank Happy you. To. So, Thank you so much. And thank you, Krista. Uh, next, we have Luma. 
uh, is in the wine professional. She's in the wine profession. She's doing her WSET diploma. Thanks for Ooh. being with us. Hello, Matthew. Thank you for the introduction. I'm feeling very important now. <laughs> Greg, I'm a huge fan. I follow you. Like, I am actually I have collaboration with Coravon for my Instagram, okay? <laughs> um, oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I've been the Zoom when you did for us in the UK about the new pivot system. And my question is I have a use for uh, Coravon because of my studies mainly. Of course, my partner uses it because sometimes he wants to drink a glass of wine that I'm not going to drink. So he, you know, for the consumers. So he used for the consumers. I use, I use for my studies. It's very, very important for me, really. Because sometimes I like I have, I'm doing diploma as Matthew introduced me to. Uh, I have to sample wines, come back to wine sometimes. It's quite expensive to buy, you know, one bottle every time you need to try something. That what is mainly I try to speak, uh, to explain in my Instagram, like, guys, if you are doing a diploma, this is a tool that you must have. I've seen in the past that WSET was giving, like, a uh, discount for dip uh, diploma students, for Coravan. But my question for you is, what is the marketing for that specific, you know, public that you have that in my point of view is very important but i've not seen much around you know talking about the needs for example like you were explaining to krista the needs of coravan especially for diploma students or for wset students what is your point of view on that oh yeah i i mean it's it's the way i study wine so I, my wine cellar looks like a my you know, it looks like a wine store. Um, I have wines from almost every country and, and uh, that makes wine. And, and I have all sorts of different wines from each of them and, and different vintages as well. Um, I One of the things I love about wine is its variety. And it's I think it's why we're so passionate about it. It's you know 140,000 different wines bottled every year. Um, and they age after they change after they've been bottled, right? So there's an infinite number of experiences. We'll never fully satisfy our curiosity in wine. It's a great place to be curious. And so one of the best uses I've seen of Corbin has been by students, but also by wine raters. Um, James Suckling, for example, he, he Corbin's 14,000 bottles a year. He's the number one user of Corbin, I think, worldwide. Um, otherwise, he was just pulling the cork and throwing away these wines. Uh, so I to study, it's the only tool that I've ever had that allowed me to study wine that way. I've seen some great uses of it. Um, there's a, that I would love to get out into the world. Uh, there is a sommelier group in Boston where I, where I live, uh, nine sommelier, they each buy a case of 12 different wines from a region and they Corbin through them over the course of a week and then they, they trade cases. And so for the price of 12 bottles, they get to taste nine times 12 um, and they just keep passing them around uh, until everybody's learned each of the wines. So uh, it, it's a great way of almost creating a wine library that, that can be shared. We have marketed through um, the Culinary Institute of America. We generally work with partners when, when working with wine educators. Uh, so wine schools in San Francisco, uh, WSET programs across the United States on a one-by-one -one basis. Uh, and then we did have a collaboration, I hope we still do, uh, with the WSET program in London, um, where we were offering discounts uh, to people, I think it was a level two and above. Um, 
because we knew that they wanted to study. And we've tried to do the same thing with the uh, Master Sommelier Society. Um, this is a, so it's it's hit or miss because we're going with a partner. And um, and and maybe our partners aren't strong marketers. And it's it's been pricey for us through traditional marketing to to advertise to that group um, because we, we've had to focus on the mass market to sell as much as possible. I do think, though, that because of Instagram and the low cost and and great breadth of social media, that we do have an opportunity to improve our marketing to people who are studying. And uh, I will take an action of uh, putting out some of the best ideas that I've seen in studying wine um, in my Instagram account over the course of the next week uh, to uh, to help support this. And I'll talk to my guys in marketing because I think it is a you're right. It's great. It's one of the great uses of, of, of Corbin that I didn't anticipate. Thank you, Loma. Thank you, Loma. Paul, who do we have next? Uh, we are on to Blasco. Um, we are also sort of running slightly out of time. So if you, if you um, want to keep it quick, Blasco, that'd be lovely. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me up. And thank you, Greg, for your time. I will be as brief as possible. Uh, I've been kind of knowing of your product ever since it came out. I think it was roughly 10 years ago. And I've experienced uh, sometimes tasting wine by using your product. And also this was happened like in the last year or couple of years here in London because I'm based here. And I've always kind of discussed this, your product with friends that are in the industry as sommelier or simply traders or wine lovers just like me. And the, the opinions have always been very mixed. Uh, some are great advocates for it, some others are very skeptical. And my main question is because, like, for example, Krista was saying before, she lives alone, I live alone as well, and I have quite a substantial amount of wines that are over 30 years old, over 20 years old. And during these last few months, I also was actually considering in trying it. So could you please uh, kind of... Uh, prove what I said is right or wrong and some kind of factors that would really be beneficial for this purchase. Thank you. Yeah, uh, clean, clear cellar and cork. Um, please do go to the video and see how to take care of it. The Corvin can be misused and that can result in bad outcomes. And I think uh, particularly people in the trade who were doing wine sampling for their guests, you know, they would bring a bottle of wine to 10 or 15 different restaurants. They started to use Corvin very aggressively. And you can imagine that if you're going into a cork 15 times, 20 times, and you're not cleaning it, and you're not clearing it, and you're not cellaring the wine, you're driving around with it, that you can have the worst possible results. And so I think that that led that that misuse and abuse. I have Corvin in a bottle 24 times, and it it has been successful. So if you use the right technique, and in, a, um, in, a, in what time kind of time frame did you core it? Over the course of over the course of uh, of four years. Because uh, like another argument I heard against was that oh you know, you're still piercing the cork. So the bottle has like a life expectation of like five, six more months. So that also was kind of always kept me skeptical. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, no, that's great. Um, it is it is an argument that I've heard. But actually, if you think about the way that cork seals, cork is sealing against the glass, um, right? It's it's they, they take a big cork, they squish it, they stuff it in the neck and they let it, it essentially expands and squeezes against the glass. That same compression with which it's squeezing against the glass is what closes the hole. Um, and when you think about the open surface area that needs to be closed by the cork, the smallest open surface area is the hole that we make. 
The largest is the periphery, is the circumference of the cork. So if cork is no longer elastic, it's not the core of and hole that's the problem. It's the one that's around the periphery. So um, I have heard many people say it only lasts two weeks or it lasts only six months or it lasts um, a year. And I wonder how many of those folks have, have waited uh, long enough to see actually how long it does work. Uh, do follow the best techniques. You're, you're a new Corvin user, uh, clean, clear, and seller uh, for sure. Test the cork to make sure that it's not going to fall into the bottle when you push on it. Um, that's also important. Uh, and then get the least expensive Corvin you can. The Model 3 is our current one. Works just as well as everything else um, for, from a home use perspective. Uh, and, and the prices come down quite a bit. And, and test it on a couple of bottles and see if you have a So you can blind taste. I kind of lost a bit, but I heard the most of the end. Sorry about that. My uh, my ear pods just died. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> so so that, thank you very much. Thank you, Blasco. We have a, two more questions I want to get through so I can keep to Greg's schedule here. Amre, it's good to see you again. Uh, you want to introduce yourself, question, question or comment, uh, keep it brief. I'm sorry, just because we're short on time. Thanks. Sure. sure. I have a question about the capsule. The capsule has an expired date. Ah. But my my friend told me, one of my friends told me, it must have an expired date. Otherwise, it will never go bad. I mean, the expired date is just because of the law, I think. And that we shouldn't worry about the expired date because the guests will know it will not, not go bad. Is what, that true? I've never been asked that question. And yes, that's true. <laughs> so uh, it is because of the law. Um, we, you, you have to test how much gas leaks out over a period of time to validate that the gas that you say is in there will still be in there. And so the long, however long you run the test is however long you're allowed to write on the, on the capsule. But I've never met a capsule that leaked. <laughs> so uh, do not worry about the gas going bad. Greg, Thank just to point to point on this, uh, it's probably also because it's related in many countries by regulation. Wine is related to food, so everything that comes to food has to have, whether it's additives or so on. You know, it needs to have a peremption like a, a a date on it. So that's right, that's right. And and we do source our gas from the cleanest source. Uh, it's a company based in Austria, just outside of Vienna. And it's one of the reasons we work with them. They uh, they they clean this they clean the, the the heck out of their capsule before inserting argon, uh, and they use medical grade argon on a separate production line for us. Thank you, Emery. Thank you, Greg. Now we're gonna jump to our last uh, person on stage. It's Roger. He was uh, working for uh, Wine Media in Norway for many years he used to work for importers uh, and he's a big wine collector so please come on stage Roger try to make it brief because we are very short on time thank you very much yeah hi nice to meet you all <clears throat> I'm gonna be uh, well I'm gonna be semi brief here um, but I have it uh, quite uh, quite ready um, hello Greg hello hey you might remember me. We met in Montreux in Switzerland in 2014. Uh, oh, during, yes, I do. Yeah, <laughs> during the Dig Digital Wine Communication Conference. I love that conference. Yeah. Very memorable. 
and you did demonstrate the system. And I found it, I found it then really quite impressive that you could actually sample the wines for so so long periods. So, um, well, um, just to be clear, um, during this session, there seems to be very little critic towards the systems, and I will probably level out that somewhat. Uh, uh, because in in late 2014, I ordered uh, three Corvin thousand sets from you, um, and one of them went to I, I, I gave to a restaurateur, and one to a wine importer, and one I, I I kept for myself, just to kind of see how how they um, how how they found the systems. Um, I'm quite a wine geek and also I like to explore technical equipment uh, and of course find out how they work and 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 how they should work and um, as I told you my foremost idea was to sample uh, expensive wines that I had in my cellar and to find uh, first first and foremost to find any faulty bottles before the Norwegian five-year return policy is gone because in Norway we can uh, return faulty bottles and have reimbursed uh, the cost within five years so my idea was to sample the wines and find any corky wines and then then send them back. Um, my first test was with a range of semi-old semi -old and older wines from different regions in France, Spain, Italy and so on. Uh, a total of eight bottles that I started with. Um, uh, all the bottles quite rapidly changed after some weeks and lost the shining fruit and balance that they had uh, initially. Um, they went quite flat and they oxidized. Um, several friends also tested the bottles during this period and, and they all came to the same conclusion. Um, so having said that, Coravin is in itself a great idea, uh, but I, find, I find it uh, poorly executed uh, into production. I'm going, com going to come a little bit closer into that. Uh, I addressed this problem to you in 2015, but after a while, you might remember that you kind of stopped responding to my uh, to my thoughts. Um, what I find really worrisome is that the system is still, after all these years, uh, in my opinion, an unfinished product. Uh, and the major problem is that the system, in its basic, is an open system. And that means that the needle is fully open when pushed through the cork. And that easily allows oxygen to enter, enter the bottle. And People might ask why, uh, and the simple, the simple, the simple answer is that a cold bottle will definitely have an under pressure uh, because the production of the of the wine is not cold, and when you put it into your basement or in your wine cooler, um, and after some pouring, the problem will be immensely worse because a bottle under with under pressure will try to elevate the pressure, and hence it has to get something into the bottle to even out. And that has to be air because the system is open. So when you push the needle into the cork, whilst the bottle is in the horizontal position, for, in, for, for, for instance, air will flow in and make bubbles in the wine. You explained to me that in 2015 that, the, that it was the opposite, that, that air was coming out, but air coming out from the bottle doesn't leave bubbles inside the wine. So that's the problem. Um, one also lose a lot of argon in the pouring process due to the lack of closed valve position. And this is probably somewhat well thought decision as the amount of argon lost in the end of the pouring situation is often quite large. If it had a closed position, one could preserve the remaining gas and then use it for the next or a later glass. 
Um, and by well thought, I mean that your company in this way sells way more capsules than you would if the system was closed. Um, it should be a three-way valve system, but still after these six years, uh, it's only a two-way system. That is push gas one way and release wine the other way. Uh, a three-way system would have had these three positions. Middle position would be closed needle system. Push one side, push you push gas into the bottle. If you push towards the other side, you pour wine into the glass. If you release, the system is closed again, and the, that would allow for the rest of the gas to, to leave inside the bottle. Um, my, I, 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 I stopped regularly testing my system in 2016. I do test it now and then on younger wines, and of course, the younger the wines are, uh, the longer the wines will preserve. Um, today, I find that the system works quite well for restaurants and wine importers if the bottles are used within maximum two weeks. Uh, but last week, I tasted the Magnum of Rioja Reserve 2016. Uh, and when I tasted it, um, I find that the, the wine lacked quite some of the top fruit and was not shining. And that seemed strange to me. He then told me that this Magnum bottle had been coravined for a week. Uh, but I didn't see that because the cork was open because uh, this was the last tasting, so we didn't bother to uh, to, to to use the coravin. Uh, Roger, 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 one second. So, but, but just, Roger, just to say, he opened, he opened a new magnum, and that was really great. So, um, yeah. Do you Roger. have a question, Roger? Yeah, do you have a yeah, question? The, 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 the question is, why is the system still not having a three-way valve? To, so, to, Roger, to, I'm. Uh, I have to say, I'm. I'm very sorry for your experiences, and uh, and you know, to any any bottle of wine that that a Corbin has been used on, and and the the consumer of that wine is not satisfied with the the outcome. That's not what certainly not what I was looking for uh, in developing it. So, I first of all, I'm I'm sorry for your experiences. Um, secondly, in terms of the design of the system and the testing of the system. Um, I have I, I have a I I have a variety of reasons why it's not a, a, a three-way system a three-way valve and 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 I I promise you that there it's not done out of maliciousness or a desire to cause people to either spend more gas or for people's wines to go bad so just to, to clarify that the the reasons are that a, that a bottle left with pressure in it um, is 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 potentially dangerous uh, also a bottle left with pressure in it will continuously try to push the cork out um, and and can cause leaking. So that is the the reason why it's not a three-way valve. And and um, in terms of um, efficacy of the system, there there uh, I, I I know how strong you're you and I've met folks who have very strongly held perceptions of of um, of, of what can happen with Coravin and and uh, I I've I've had innumerable conversations like that. And, and I, I try to address it through blind tasting. Um, and I hope that I get the chance to blind taste with you and, and some of the wines that, uh, that you're speaking to. Um, it would be a pleasure to, to, to meet with you and access some wines. We can, we can put them down together. Uh, and then I'm, I'm happy to come back. Yeah. Uh, it's actually one of the things that I miss the most from uh, the pandemic is the, mm. the travel and the capacity to do this. Um, we is, actually, is uh, so yeah. limited. We actually did started a test uh, this way with the Norwegian importer at, at the time, uh, with uh, with Foco, 
but then he kind of didn't return, and we uh, asked if he if, if he was planning to come back after after the the, the prearranged time. Uh, and when he finally answered, he said it was a little bit late and so on. But um, not long after well, that, uh, the importer went 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 broke, and uh, that's what the end of that. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Roger, thank you very much for your, for yeah. your question. Yeah. Uh, Greg, thank you for your, um, you know, fabulous answers. Very diplomatic. Thank you. Very, very good. If if you'll permit me to close with a very, very brief question. Um, your Corvin Moment app has not yet come up. I just wondered whether you have um, any plans for expansion on that. Um, but in, in lieu of an answer, I just want to say thank you very much for your time and, and obviously for this uh, great product. I've had some wonderful experiences with it um, over the years. So cheers. Well, cheers, and thank you so much again for having me here. Um, I, I'm fascinated by the Corvin Moments app. Uh, I, I There's a guy named Francois in our company who came up with the idea. I thought it was brilliant. My favorite part about it is the way that he manages the seller. Um, but I also like his concept of pairing wine with more than just food. Um, wine is part of our lives. Um, it is part of the experience of the people that we're with. Uh, it's the music that's playing, it's the book we're reading, it's the Netflix show we're watching, and it accents or takes away from uh, any one of those experiences. And so he's working on Corbin Moments to build an AI that can match the wines in your cellar and that you like to drink with more than just food. And I, I just, I think the concept is so cool, so I will keep investing in it. Um, and, and you know, will, will it take off? I don't know. Uh, it's great, a great way to be able to buy stuff on Corbin's website. It's very quick. Um, but I, I use it to, to manage the type, the seller that I have, because uh, I, I just love the graphical display of the way that he's mapping out the taste of wine um, from earthy to fruity and from light to bold. I, I just thought that was an ingenious thought as well. So one of the best things about Corbin is the people I get to work with and the people I get to meet. Um, you don't make a great company without great people. And I don't think you make a great company without great customers who are passionate about what they're doing. So I've been blessed with Corbin with both and, uh, and having conversations like these about the sort of geeky minutia of Corbin and the, uh, the broader expanse of being able to learn and taste more of this beverage that we all so love. Uh, right. I mean, this is a privilege for us. And I think there's nothing like this pandemic to have taught us how important wine really is in our lives. <laughs> what would this pandemic have been without? <laughs> You're totally right. Greg, I am really sorry that we went over your allotted time. I'm no worries. Thank you for being gracious with your time, answering all the questions. Sorry, Roger. That's why I was just trying to cut because we're already running late with Greg. Thank you, everybody. I want to thank you, Greg. Um, this week, just real quick, we have a busy week. We're with Peyton Winery of Barbaresco tomorrow night, Amanda Barnes about South American wines on Wednesday. And on Thursday, we are with James Molesworth, uh, senior editor of The Wine Spectator. Thanks to Fabian. So, guys, thank you so much. Greg, any closing comments before you want to go? Sounds like a great program. James Molesworth, ask him about his cooking. He's a badass cook. <laughs> he was in the room for a little while so thank you <laughs> thank thank you uh greg i appreciate it and guys we will see you soon make sure you follow greg to, and uh anybody else that you see in the crowd if you want to uh get access to different rooms on clubhouse thank you so much everybody <laughs>